this is now episode eight of our Zoom, and we have a name for it. It's called the Light Shed Podcast. Very creative. Very, very creative. <laughs> uh, why is it called the Light Shed Podcast, though? Because now we have podcast functionality. So we We're coming, coming very shortly. Coming very shortly. And hopefully uh, shortly coming. after that, Brandon's going to get a better headset. So the audio that you're listening to right now in your podcast. Enough. enough. I've taken a beating this week. Rounder tones. I, uh, I did work out for the first time in three months. <laughs> I, I, uh, please clap. I did a, I did a Zoom workout um, with a trainer guy. Did you pay and, him? Uh, what do you, of course I paid him. No, we did it for free. Uh, yes. Yes, I paid him. Um, but the most interesting part about it was in the middle of this workout session where I re-injured my knee, this guy started talking to me about Tesla options and yes, and, uh, and, uh, and other equities that he was fooling around with, um, yeah, sort of the usual suspects, including Hertz. And I started think, thinking- So he was the long Hertz? Yes. And, and, oh and Tesla options and was trying to explain options expirations to me. I'm like, okay, let's like kind of just do this workout. Right. <laughs> and, and it, it reminded me of one, of one time. And this is when I went to um, a barber a couple of years ago. Yes. I know it looks like I haven't been, and I haven't for a very long time, but, and the guy, I walk in and sit down he's like, so what do you think of Bitcoin here? And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. all the equity markets are following the whole Bitcoin thing where it's just this sort of retail bubble up. Um, and that seemed to be the, the theme of the week. I, it hurts itself, what, what to $5. Um, it's on its way to bankruptcy from like five cents. Um, well, not if so, they raise a billion dollars from all the. Uh, oh yeah, and now they're going to try and raise a billion dollars. It's going to muster together their hundreds of dollars to fund a billion dollar equity offering on Hertz. It's like a Kickstarter for companies. I don't know. <laughs> it, it, it the whole thing made me really feel bad about my profession, though, because I'm like, what's what's the point of trying to pick stocks when? You know, it's just who has the best name and the best five-minute story. Right, on that not- note, can we move on to our first slide before yeah. you have your self-awareness? Uh, but but I am waiting. I am waiting for the GoFundMe campaign to be launched for movie theaters in this country. That'll be the next thing. <laughs> That's it. it is. <laughs> Rich, with Rich, it's always like you can oh, say X, Y, or Z, and it comes yeah. back to movies right the now. Movie I assume theaters. we're starting with movie. We're not. We're not starting with movie theaters. We're- we're going to start with uh, Snapchat had their partner summit. And uh, the first video we're going to play is the introduction of minis, which is essentially Snapchat trying to transform themselves or enable the platform to be more like WeChat, to basically be a platform for other apps. And so it really you know, allows other apps to tie in. And so uh, right, watch play the here. Video. Let's go. So you get the idea. That got me head bobbing a little bit. 
Yeah, but I, look, the reality is, is you could imagine when you're doing like an Uber pool, assuming we actually share Ubers again in the future, uh, that, you know, you could basically be booking these things with your friends all inside of yeah. the Snapchat app. Like you don't have to leave Snapchat, just like you don't have to leave to play a game. And, you know, Zynga announced more integrations of games into the Snap platform this week as part of the partner summit announcement, but you theoretically could have any type of functionality that requires friends, not just gaming, but anything that requires, you know, kind of multiple people to basically play out within the Snapchat platform. And again, I, I think the key is, is that Chris, they're building this into chat. But why is the, Snap doing this? Are they saying this, this is This is how I think about it. And maybe I'm off and I paid some attention to this yesterday, not like a ton ton, but, I, I look at Snap and I think about them trying to almost make an operating system on top of iOS and Android that is for millennials. And what really like triggered me is that new action bar that they have. And I looked at it and it looks like a remote control a little bit. And then it, it made me think of, remember Matt Kohler's, like yeah. the mobile phone is the remote control of your life. So I started thinking, I was like, yes, they are trying to make the millennial remote control of, um, of I guess, millennials' lives, not ours. Um, and and they're, they're, they're building that out through different functionality. Maps is like obviously a key usage on mobile. Um, messaging, I mean, you put those two together, you have a lot of it, and then, and then entertainment. So, and then, the, and then the other like real takeaway I had was the focus on commerce. And maybe this is just like a, a theme because we've been thinking about it a lot with, with Instagram and others. We had a meeting with Nextdoor um, on, on commerce and uh, the commerce that could be allowed on platform through these, um, through these minis. And then local also. And, and um, the, the local lenses um, was kind of a, a, a tip off there. They're trying to keep you in the platform longer. I mean, every, this is a war for time and attention and Snap yeah. doesn't want you leaving. They want you to do everything inside of Snapchat uh, obviously within reason. Like, I don't think they want you watching Netflix inside of Snapchat, but they want you doing lots of bite-sized activities that are easy to transact within a mobile environment. And I think if you look over to Asia, there's examples of this behavior. And it so, hasn't happened well, here. I mean, yeah. iMessage hasn't accomplished it. Um, I mean, if you look across, you know, Facebook Messenger has tried to introduce these things. No one in the, in, in the Western world has really accomplished this. This is Snap has had some success with games. They're going to take a shot on goal to see if they can do this. Yeah, I mean, the core functionality of Snap is messaging. So if they're going to build a platform, it makes sense to build it out through, through messaging. The hard part is, is like, I can go to the Uber app very easily. Like, it's not a hard thing to get but, to Uber. But, this, but Rich, this is my point, right, Th that, I, that I kind of started with about it being the remote control of your life. It, it is an overlay of, of all the functionality that you, or a lot of the functionality you would just go to your native mobile um, operating system for. Can I get TikTok in Snap? Because that's what I would like yeah, to use on well, my remote. You could get well, the content. Can I tune my remote to TikTok within Snap? I mean, TikTok makes it really easy to share content into Snapchat. 
Um, you know, I think that's one of the things TikTok's done really well is they let oh, well, you share everywhere. That shouldn't it go the other way though? Bring it in. So I see it all there. Well, uh, the, the other well, thing. Not, the, 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 the challenge with that, Walt, is that TikTok also, to everything exactly. Brandon just said, TikTok yeah. wants to do everything Brandon just said. And so let's, let's roll to the next slide. A hundred percent. It's, it's, <laughs> they're, they both want to accomplish the same thing. They're just coming at it from different directions. One of them is coming at it through from messaging, and the other is through gaining scale through dance videos, which are becoming more hit, hit the table. So, so it's more so, than just dance videos. That's right. what I said, becoming so, more. So let's, let's turn it over to Brian um, Thunson, who's the TikTok head of content partnerships. He was interviewed recently. Listen to what he said, and it ties exactly what, to what Walt just said. We are starting to see an explosion of content diversity on the platform. Certainly, uh, you know, lip sync and dance and, and comedy are kind of three juggernauts for us from a genre perspective. But we're starting to see so much more, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, uh, food and uh, animals, gaming, DIY, life hacks. And so those things are really giving way uh, and, and giving birth to a, a slightly more instructive and informational uh, content format that we are really leaning into in a big way. So and then, you know, Brandon, why don't you describe what else is on the slide? Because it, it ties exactly into that conversation. Well, maybe I should read it since we're, we're now a podcast. Sure. <laughs> this is a tweet. I actually have to maximize this in order to read. I'm getting old. Um, <laughs> TikTok blows my mind. I streamed my PS5 reveal reaction to 40,000 viewers. My fantastic editor quickly cut it to fit what we find successful on TikTok. And now it's on pace to break two and a half million views in 24 hours. TikTok is the future for gaming creators. Now, I don't think he said it's the future for gaming creators. I think it's just the an important part of the future for creators in general. And he just happens to be a gaming creator, right? I mean, Walt is our TikTok guru. I mean, we look to him for finding and sourcing the best TikToks of the week. Why do you like it so much? I mean, it's, it's amazing as far as what it serves you and quickly the functionality. Although I want like the two and a half million views, it is amazing to see the number of views and likes that a lot of these things get. I mean, is there any way to be able to audit that or know what that really means if you leave your phone on and the thing keeps going over and over? Like, how, how does that work? Because it just seems like the engagement and at least what they're serving is so materially higher than other platforms, at least that I engage with. It's just, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it's literally crazy. Do you think their numbers need to be audited, Walt? Is this, gonna, is this because they're not domiciled? In the <laughs> I just think, I think the numbers are very, very impressive. I mean, super high in terms of, I mean, even think, I think Gary Vee talked about this when he first went on TikTok, he was amazed at what little um, marketing he did in terms of the number of subs he quickly got and the number of, of views that he got. It's just amazing how dynamic that platform is. I mean, yeah. look, we wrote about this week. I mean, no, it was just a sort of something that's staggering. The number one TikToker, which we've talked about on this podcast before, uh, who had, I think, 35 million um, followers. This is Charlie D'Amelio. She had 35 million followers in March when she went on the Fallon show. Obviously, going on Fallon helps your visibility, but she went from 35 to over 60 million followers in less than three months. So, I mean, that, that's the type but forget of- about the, But forget about those at the very high end, even like just regular 
randos that you flip sure. through. It's just amazing the number of followers that they would get as opposed to someone logging on to Twitter. Well, no, no, not followers, time. likes, right? Like it's, it's views and likes because you don't actually have to follow the person to the, for the content to be sourced to you. That's it right. just figures too. out. Honestly, even, that's what if you, if you click through on some of these profiles, you know, when aside from the number of views that they're getting or likes or whatever the hell it is, like just the number of followers is well, impressive. truly different about the TikTok platform relative to others is that it's, it's, I guess, AI and recommendation engine is so core to your experience with it. Right. Yeah, but we don't know how many we don't know how many users like, there are. How, how do we know? But we're impressed by these numbers. And it obviously if someone sees and they start putting like Gary Vee or whoever it is puts their content on there and they mm -hmm. see what appear to be huge numbers, but like how do we know how do you know that these numbers are what they are? You know what I mean? Like do you uh, see your list of I mean, you know what I mean? Like it, <laughs> Has, and this, this goes for all of them, whether it's Twitter yeah. or Facebook. I mean, look, there was that thing years ago where Twitter had all of a sudden our follower accounts just dropped because they went out and, and knocked down all these accounts that were out there. Like, yeah, you're basically like, saying how many are bots or real people and how much is, you know, made up. And the honest answer is I, I think we're so early in the evolution of the platform that I, I don't know. But let's say you're a content creator and you've been posting on Instagram and all these places and you post on TikTok and you're like fired up because your follower number is so dramatically higher than what you had on Instagram, or at least your what appears to be your engagement goes up. But like, how do you, how do you really know um, what the uh, real stuff is? I mean, look, all of these platforms have the same problem. I mean, really the only yeah, one when you get when you get to monetization yeah. right and you see these big numbers we're tipping monetization, monetization but if you were going to sell ad dollars like if i'm the influencer right. and someone's going to pay me 25 grand to push their product on a TikTok, how does the ad advertiser know that those are truly 20 you know the number of views that you're getting there's been a lot of stories about buying likes on facebook and buying followers and uh, it's a problem that all of these platforms face is that you can game the system. And I think, you know, look, I think ad buyers generally take a discount to whatever the kind of reported numbers are. They know that so a portion curious, of it is so fake. So we need to find out from advertisers, like, are they, are they applying any extra discount to TikTok given how very high those numbers are? That's, maybe they should, maybe they shouldn't. I don't know. Great, that's a great point, Walt. And I mean, again, this kind of goes back to a lot of numbers. We've seen this you know, over the years that come out of China are not necessarily correct. I doubt that's the case here, given ByteDance and who their investors are. So I, but yeah, auditing is probably. But, but let's just put this into context, but let's put it in context. TikTok globally did under 200 million of revenue last year for if published reports that are, you know, in the press are, are correct with hundreds of millions of users, if not, you know, a billion users probably by now, you know, the, the revenue is going to go up, you know, you're going to start adding zeros pretty quickly to the revenue, regardless of how much is true versus fake. Yes, at, there's a scale number where that's going to matter. But over the next couple of years, there's, you know, so much open uh, space ahead for them to grow revenues just because a, a good portion of them are real and they're monetizing at a fraction of what the other platforms are. Well, look, in my case, it is an amazing product in terms of the content that's put on there. It's materially reduced the amount of time that I spend on Instagram and Facebook. Twitter, I think it's probably the same, but like, look, it's just, it's good price. So if they layer in additional services as you were talking about, 
Uh, I mean, I personally wouldn't use it for, for messaging anyone, but you never know. Like I, I message with people on LinkedIn, Twitter. I mean, there's so many so, different so, places. So, so on that point, let's bring in Gary V because Gary oh. actually gave a talk on this at, that okay. I think is worth listening to. I'll save my thoughts. <laughs> I think Snapchat needs to innovate. I think its relevance is low. Um, TikTok is another fucking shot in their arm because their relevance over the last year has really still been much younger, right? If, if TikTok messaging system is a little wonky, if they innovate on that and get it real strong, I think between Instagram stories and TikTok winning youth, they're in a real difficult spot. I already see an enormous amount of 14 year olds in a TikTok, Instagram only framework. I'm really on the record on this. I think Snapchat could be an amazing competitor to Twitch. Yep. Was that your music, Rich? Behind that was that? not my music. Obviously, somebody overlaid that on, on that video. <laughs> okay, I don't know when that oh, video that, was. That I don't was, know exactly when that was from. Rich, that was a TikTok. <laughs> no, no, but I'm saying I don't TikTok. know when that video was from. Well, that was from me. I sent to you last night, so I don't know. I don't know. No, no, I mean, I don't know. I don't know when it was shot. I mean, I don't know when that was actually created. But right. the 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 idea is, and I think Gary sort of nailed the what, what you know the hard part about the comments he makes is that there are a lot of competition for Instagram and for Snapchat time spent. But I think the one thing that is really sticky about Snapchat that you know a lot of people forget because Snapchat has screwed up a lot. I mean, if you go back 18 months, Snapchat was did everything wrong they possibly could do on the product side in terms of changing the interface and upsetting their users. And they didn't lose users really. And I think the reason why it's so sticky, even through their missteps a year and a half ago, is that it's a messaging platform. And there is an entire generation that lives on this the way you, the, the way the three of us use a WhatsApp or an iMessage is the way they use Snapchat as a core messaging product. And you just don't give that up. And so, yes, do I think there's, you know, attacks on Snapchat from a time spent standpoint? Sure. And I think that's why you're seeing Snapchat do the platform that we talked about earlier. But I think the core messaging functionality isn't viewed uh, as important enough, and it really is the sticky special sauce of Snapchat. Yeah, I think also the point here is um, whether it's messaging or whatever it is, TikTok is going to become much, much more than what it is now. It is accumulating whether the, whatever the numbers are a a lot um, of of MAU, a lot of engagement, and they're going to add tools. Uh, to, to what's on there now and people are going to create more for that platform and it's going to get the flywheel going and they're going to be much more than than what they are today they're going to well, and they already are in china the, the chinese complement of of uh, of tiktok has 15 minute videos has commerce i mean there's a lot right. more to it and i think that's sort of the blueprint for what you're going to see there is kind of a, Ch a china subtext to this whole snap versus um versus tiktok battle isn't there meaning china versus la or well, china it, versus us like, no 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 but the two chinese competitors right <laughs> parent companies bike dance versus um versus Tencent and and how they're aligned each aligned with one right. of these platforms and bringing um, the type of platform from China that's popular in China to, to the US. I don't know. Just random thought. Why don't we move on to the next slide? Walt, you want to read this for us? Charlie Gasparino, scoop. 
<laughs> Telecom executives doubting T-Mobile had reached final deal, deal terms with Dish to purchase Boost Mobile last year. More on this and an update, blah, blah, blah. This is a Gasparino tweet, created a bit of a hubbub um, during the week. Uh, as a reminder, part of the Sprint T-Mobile transaction involves Dish buying Boost, getting an MVNO, three elements, buying Boost, getting an MVNO, meaning you know, effectively getting access to T-Mobile's network to sell to a broader range of customers, and um, the Spectrum deal. We wrote a little bit about the Spectrum deal and Boost on Monday, but there was this kind of concern like, oh my God, you know, is Charlie trying to back out of the deal and do they have to find a, a different buyer for Boost? And Charlie agreed to this with the DOJ. Like this was a DOJ settlement at that he was critical to that DOJ settlement, correct? Yeah, and we've looked at the terms and it's it's really hard for him to back out. I mean, it's most likely them just making sure that T-Mobile is living up to the terms. Like, look, could Charlie be in there trying to get some better terms on the MVNO? Sure, but at the end of the day, Macon Del Rahim um, has the ultimate say here and can compel them to close and he will deliver the terms on the spectrum deal. So to the extent that there's like this concern, like, oh, they're going to back out and he's not going to buy boost. It's very hard to do that. And Frank, I just think there's a lot less drama in this than, um, than maybe people think. When, if, if, if the government compelled him to close or compelled the transaction to close, when does that happen? Is that weeks, should months? happen July 1st, you know, but I mean, look, if, if things bleed in like a couple of weeks, but the ultimate deadline is July 1st. I mean, there were some headlines earlier today saying like, oh, it's going to, you know, close imminently. Companies want to want to close it, you know, from an accounting standpoint, it's just easier on the first day of the month. So I would guess that like any issues that they have, they're working with the DOJ now, we'll hash them out. You'll see the closing on June 1st and then away we go. And we see- And how this all ties to when we see DISH mobile service. Sure, and, and well, they have to finalize the MVNO agreement before at a minimum, they can start selling under their own brand or a different brand. But in addition, that they can look to sign up strategic agreements, right? I mean, we talked, I think last week about the number of tech companies that are investing in wireless operators on, on a global basis. Um, so there's an opportunity for strategic partnerships that are out there. So, but none of that can happen until they get past this hurdle that they're about to, to get through. And yes, we thought it was gonna happen June 1st. And, and again, like I, I look at this as like, if you're, if you're buying a house, he has a punch list. And you've got Macon Del Rahim there to enforce whatever his final asks are in this. Let's get that done and then, and then move on and, and then see where Dish goes from there. And we'll, maybe we'll see what happens in a couple of weeks. Video gaming, Brandon. Yeah, so yesterday was the big PS5 reveal. Uh, a, a couple of quick thoughts on that. Um, number one is it was very much or almost entirely focused on software. So, which is a very different approach than what we've seen out of, out of Xbox thus far. Wait, you wanna just describe what, people, what you're looking at? Like, what does this device look like versus all other devices? I mean, to me, it looks very space age-esque. Yeah, I mean, I'm not the, uh, the aesthetics guru, <laughs> but it, it looks pretty cool to me. Uh, it, it's, um, it's, it's white and uh, I think they, they call it sexy is like the term that, that people use to describe these futuristic It kind of looks like a modern art museum. Things. It looks yeah. like a modern art museum. Yeah. 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 It's, 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 it's right. looks or, nice. Or an Apple store. It looks like the Apple store in Chicago a little bit actually. 
<laughs> okay, but the point is they focused on almost the entire time on on software, on exclusive titles um, for PlayStation versus focusing on the hardware. Another interesting point was that they're, they're selling one that actually doesn't have a Blu-ray drive at all. That's completely digital. Um, Meaning the only way you can access content is to is download it from the cloud. There yeah. is no ability to put a disc in the way we've all been accustomed to <laughs> in consoles forever. The model still have them using discs? Yes. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Dude, I, I have a PS4. I mean, you got You can put it, you put the, oh, the disc funny. in. I mean, digital downloads are what, like maybe 50, maybe 50% of games are bought that way right now. Wow, and, I thought it would have been a lot more. Yeah. I, I figured everyone, you just downloaded the whole thing. That's I crazy. mean, look, the Nintendo Switch. I mean, you go onto Amazon and like Animal Crossing is like, I mean, yes, you can download it, but you can also buy the little you know, square How long ago thing. was it where, where Reed Hastings was sitting in that little courtyard at Netflix talking about how they were separating the company between the disc and the digital? I mean, I mean, it feels like that was ages ago. And these gaming companies are still selling CDs? What the? Well, look, that, that was a built into, I guess, the, the PS4 and, and Xbox One. I, it, it will be in this generation, too, if you want it. But 2011, for, by the way. Reason, like... Consumers have not fully <laughs> adapted yet. And uh, obviously the publishers would love them to because their margins uh, are much higher wh when, they, when they sell digitally. The yeah. other thing on there, slide's not up anymore, but- um, I can bring it up. Was that they- Do, do they put discs in the magazine like CompUSA used to do and then like a little <laughs> disc slide in for AOL? It's <laughs> amazing, it's amazing. <laughs> they they let off uh, with GTA Five, and we oh, I nice. think we discussed GTA on maybe last week or the week before, and the continued growth of GTA Online. It's also amazing. It sold 130 um, million units already, and now we're talking about it spanning the ninth generation of of platforms. Um, which is incredible because it, it, it was on the seventh and eighth generations. That's number one. Number two, the fact that they let off the entire presentation with this legacy content um, shows you how important and influential it is. Yep. And number three, the giveaway um, with, with uh, all PS, uh, PS5 consoles is free GTA Online for three months. Oh, wow. When are we getting this, Brandon? When am I buying a PS5? Holiday. This holiday? Yes. I don't know the price, so don't ask. What, what do you think? Three, four hundred bucks? More? Five, six, seven hundred bucks? Eight hundred bucks? I can't see you. Are you, are you pointing up or down? Because I'm, I'm, point, I'm pointing up. I'm spending a lot of money. Great. Five fifty or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, yeah, it's great. It's still then, less than I paid for my Nintendo Switch that I had to basically buy off eBay, so. Are we back to that? No, no, no. I'm just angry. Still angry. Still <laughs> angry again. weeks later. Still angry. Rich, I hope you can afford it. <laughs> uh, let's talk sports. So we've got uh, a whole bunch of sports tweets. We've got um, – I'll read them, Rich. Oh, go ahead. Adrian – oh, wait a minute. How do you pronounce his last name? Woj By the way, say Woj. Just say Woj. <laughs> Um, the NBA is targeting a slightly earlier date for the restart of the season in Orlando. Sources tell ESPN, colon, uh, July 30th. 
Jeff, um, again, is it Passan or Passan? Well, I won't ask Rich for the pronunciation. Rob Manfred to Carl, <laughs> somebody. We're on a call, with, unequivocally. We're on a call with, with Fubo, and he's calling them Fubu the entire time. Yes, and I was... go through the different things. Well, it's not as bad as Gasparino calling uh, Macon Del Rahim, Macam, Macam Del Rahim. Okay, <laughs> Jeff, another quote or another Twitter or tweet that we have on our screen for our podcast listeners. MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred on ESPN, the league will make a new proposal to the MLBPA after receiving the union's 89-game proposal last night. He said it will be a significant move in the players' direction, but if we have to, we'll exercise the right to set a 48-game season. Gentlemen? Manfred is a hardball here. I I think that he should be keenly aware that if there's no baseball season this year, baseball is in a lot of trouble. They already have tons of problems. But but look, there's going to be baseball. I mean, I I truly now believe there's going to be baseball. But the problem is a 50-game season, Brandon. Like, is that even a season? Like, what do you call that? I mean, Not, Not in baseball, right? That just, I mean, baseball is all about the story unfolding over 162 games. It, it's a slower game. and, and <laughs> what, what if they cut it to five innings and win 100 games? <laughs> then, then no, no, but, I, then, but then here's what I'm thinking. But here's what, here's what I'm they, thinking. They need to innovate. They do. I know. Yeah, <laughs> I know. But they should try. We talked about this about before, about this games. opportunity lost in terms of, they had this, you know, what do they call it? A softball, perhaps, to innovate their entire sport blown and here's the worst part walt based on what they're talking about a 50 game season you're basically talking about coming back in august so you're going to have nba nhl football uh, preseason competing. yeah all competing while baseball kicks off with their irrelevant two-month yeah, and season look, i think there's going to be some residual soccer perhaps or actually they may even be yeah. starting next season at that point so can i say something to- that's kind of crazy right now it won't be the first time. I, I'm a huge sports fan, as you guys know. I don't even care about these seasons anymore. I don't even care if they come back. Okay. Because well, you're already I, on to next season. But I, I, I think, think people I, will care. It's, now it's like summer, and I've kind of – I mean, maybe it's because we're not like – we're sheltering but not quite, you know, to the level that we were When, when football starts gearing up to come back, you're going to care. No, no, but I think Brandon's talking more about like NBA and NHL finishing oh, out in their the interim, seasons. In the interim, yeah. Like I, I'm kind of over it, and and with baseball, I'm just so. I mean, basketball I, playoffs will be hot. I, I can't wait for EPL to finish it, up. They're going to start this week. So once it starts, I'll be like Simmons yeah, and Embiid and the whole thing. By the way, can you uh, show us all your shirt, Well, Because I'd like to make a comment on it. Let's go. The comment is. You keep saying how much you hate baseball, and now you're wearing yeah. a baseball shirt. That is true. I don't hate it. I'm just extremely bored by it, but maybe 50 games will be enough <laughs> well, well, of, a, of a shortened season that I can focus on it. Are yeah, the Phillies going to be good this year? I don't even know. That's also a key factor. I'm going to read our next slide for our listeners. The answer is no. Rich, we were just having good banter about the baseball uh, season. Yeah, I know, but I can't, I can't think of it. Philadelphia sports right, just drives go. me crazy, or but Philly you, sports. But you know what, Rich? It always comes back. We always end up in Philadelphia. Every single podcast somehow reverts back to the love of Philadelphia. And well, it's just, it, to be, for the record, there's only one Philadelphia team I care about, besides the Quakers. That's the same. Um, but no, you know, I'm a Giants fan. I hate the Eagles. But 
it always comes back, Rich, to Disney. So why don't you go ahead? Well, look, we've got a few tweets here. This is not even just Disney. This is more just sort of um, Orlando overall. So we've got uh, a tweet from the Associated Press saying, in the US, cases have been rising in 21 states according to the AP analysis. Here's what's driving increases in some of the states with notable upticks. We've got a report out of um, ABC7, which is breaking Disneyland and California Adventure plan to reopen on July 17th. So despite all of the kind of slow moving progress that California has made, California is now going to basically be opening up Disneyland, basically the same two week period that Disney World in Florida is opening up. And then we have a video that is basically, and I'm gonna play it, but it's from this past couple of days of a woman, a couple of women walking around Universal Studios, which actually opened up last Friday. And um, let me see if I can get this to play. I don't know why I can't, hold on. There we go. And as you can see in the video, it is incredibly empty in Universal Studios. Uh, over the last couple of days. And it raises the question of, even as these things open back up, is there demand? You know, you've got locals who have annual passes, but will you get people to travel to theme parks wearing masks in, especially in the heat? I think it's been 85, 90 degrees in Orlando, humid. Are you gonna get people to show up even if these things open up? Because there's been a lot of excitement in sort of the reopening trade in stocks like Disney, for instance, but will the attendance be there? And I think that's the really big question that uh, I think from talking to investors over the last week, everyone's sort of struggling with is just because you open doesn't mean there's actually enough demand to make the parks profitable. Maybe they should put those bars in like that they have at the Ozarks then you get a lot of people going there. <laughs> It looked like all the characters and stuff were quarantined there. <laughs> There's just this, like nothing. Look, I don't, first of all, is that the what? The first or second week? It's it's early. First week. First it's, week. It's early. It's early. Yep. I mean, you have to have it, these things. It's just a matter of like how quickly things ramp. I mean, on the on the downside, things ramped relatively slowly, right? There was some inc incremental data points in February and and then early March, and then it just like a like a cliff dive, right? So um, I don't know. We'll see. The mask look in 90 degree weather is not certainly pleasant, but can you imagine, would you be surprised in 30 days if all of these parks said, you know what, masks are optional now? Oh, I would not. Right, so. I would not. Based on what we've seen, you know, with states opening and relaxation yeah. of rules. And so Georgia just had another big change. Yeah. being optional. Yeah. It's all going to be the risk tolerance of each of these individual parks. And I think it's, it's, it's going to tie to what's happening in terms of COVID. And, you know, if, if COVID slows down and these states feel comfortable, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, Georgia, Walt, you just brought up, they haven't had any rebound in terms of cases. Florida, on the other hand, things have been getting worse. Even California, things have been getting worse every so in week. Which of yeah. these, in which of these states where things have gotten worse, have they gone backwards in terms of the guidelines they've given to people? No, they haven't. Look at Texas, right? Texas is, can you see my hand? Yes, now up into the yes. right, up into okay. the right. Up, up into Let's the right, right, in terms right. of right right. hospitalization, so on and so forth. And yet retail's going from 50% occupancy to 75% now. And, and we'll have to see how it plays yeah. out, but I agree, Rich, it is, that was a little surprising that it was this empty, but I, it is still early, um, we'll, we'll see how it, yeah, well, no one's booking up. vacate. No one's booking travel yet. Right now, it's literally people who I don't can know drive. about that. 
I don't know about that. I think flights and things like that, you've seen some pickup in, in terms of bookings and things like that. So you have. Yeah. Capacity has been expanded at the airlines or yep. will be in July. Limit our last let's go to our last slide. Brandon, why don't you read this? Because I know this is a topic you think a lot about. Um I'm gonna read it to you for your reaction, Rich. There's uh there's two tweets from our friend Jared Dicker here. Who's at the Washington Post? Yes. Um, the first one, media companies today, 80-20 operator to creator ratio. Media companies tomorrow, 80-20 creator to operator ratio. Star, or asterisk, I guess it is, with operations moving to co-op software and services. First of all, I don't even know, what does that mean, operator to creator ratio? I have no idea what he's talking about. What does that mean? For so, those that are not media uh, literate. So, so think about, um, you know, the media company has their own um, content that they push out, you know, so sure. think of Netflix and their content versus yep. think about YouTube where they don't actually make almost any yeah, of the content. The whole world is their they're generating versus got so, it. Right. So, so sources of content, right? So now, like back in the old days, the old days, um, studio system, however, a handful of studios um, making the making the content, right? Now it's wide open. I, think I mean, in simplistic I terms, it's almost like into, right? it's almost like professional content versus UGC. And we're shifting more into that, the UGC world, whether that's TikTok or whether that's Instagram, IGTV. I mean, just you think about it. Brandon, you know, doing workouts over Zoom, like there's just so many other forms of content creation. Out. Okay. Um, and then the second um, part of the tweet, which it, we think about a lot, uh, the struggle for incumbents. Challengers don't have legacy debt. Incumbents have declining businesses they choose to maintain. Challengers can leapfrog the incumbents' debt. Then it's a race to reputation. Can challengers be as reputable as the incumbent without legacy debt? Right. Yeah. I'm so is that a shot to... at AT and T? Is that what that was? <laughs> so they can't get they can't get rid of them until they actually sell them. So when AT and T sells Directv to Dish and drops twenty five billion dollars of debt off the balance sheet. Well, you know, we're, we're, no, we're not. I don't think he's. No, he's talking no I, I, I think he's talking about all these companies. I mean, think about think about AT. I'm sorry. Think about Disney that is still weighed down by ESPN that's, that's and cable saying. network business and gotcha. Turner. Turner at um, you know HBO Max may be awesome, but, but they have Turner have a lot that's of debt dying. Also have tremendous <laughs> ability to invest cash. It's not like they don't, you know. No, we're not talk, no, we're not talking about financial debt here. Okay. Oh, well, gotcha. We're, we're talking Explain about me. an anchor around the ankle of these companies where they're still wed to the traditional ecosystem and can't start new and from scratch without yeah. any anchors. So Netflix is the best like traditional broker research. Yeah, but I, that's true. But I think another example, Walt, that you heard firsthand when we had Daniel Eck, when we, we interviewed Daniel Eck on Lightshed Live a few weeks ago, and he talked about them having 2000 engineers on staff. Right. You know, like, there's, I mean, no offense to our good friends over at HBO or our friends over at, you know, any of the large media companies. Yeah. They don't have 2000 engineers working on their streaming projects. They just don't like, it's just, they're not built as tech first companies. 
who focus on services. I mean, we, you know, that TikTok video we had earlier in the, in, in the show, like they're talking about also enabling creators. It's, it's building tools and services to make it That's easier right. for creators. Yeah. It's not even just having the platform. It's, it's understanding what you need to do. Like yep. what Snapchat announced yesterday at their partner summit, it, it's creating all of those things to make it easier to create and to monetize content. And so it goes far beyond, you know, just having the cash. I mean, the cash is great. All these companies, obviously, you know, it, whether it's Disney or AT&T, they all have the cash to build these things. It's just, it's very hard to pivot away from your legacy profit centers. And I think- And DNA. Yeah, <laughs> and right, DNA. The, the Well, look people. at Comcast with the X1 box. I mean, everyone's, you know, seems to think this is such a great thing. I mean, you know, just, but does anyone really want that box attached to their television anymore? Well, right, right. And Roku, we talked about, you know, we showed that market share chart that Roku's got 40% of the ecosystem. Yep. Like, why doesn't Comcast have 40? I mean, like Comcast could easily have a box called X1 that, that you and I were using at home, even though we're not in a Comcast footprint. They choose to only market that box in their footprint. And a lot of people don't even use it. They use a Roku or an Amazon Fire. Like, why is Comcast's set-top box not the best streaming box in the world, given all of their resources? They have the largest building in Philadelphia. More importantly, if they have nothing against, you know, let's go back to HBO Max for one second. Like, if they have nothing against putting HBO Max in their box, they're paying for it. Like, why shouldn't it take, like, three days for them to drop HBO Max into the X, X1 box? I don't understand that. It should take three days. <laughs> I think it's because these are custom built. It's not like an off the shelf Android sure. build or an iOS that's become fairly standard. These so are- Is that a competitive platform? If you can't, if it takes you months to do something that Apple TV was able to accomplish in like a day? Well, I'm sure there was some weeks behind it, but- <laughs> I was like, what do you talk Apple TV? But I'm not, look, the bottom, the bottom line Roku, here if they is, chose to. if you're unencumbered, and you're built in this generation, you don't have technical debt um, or anything weighing you down, yeah. um, then, then you're set to innovate. And, and the platforms of the future, we know what they are, the current mobile platforms, just to bring it full circle, including Snap and including TikTok. And there's yeah. a whole variety of, of um, creators that are creating the content on those platforms and they are building the technology and tools to allow the creators to put the content on there and for users to discover them and enjoy them. And that's right. the DNA that companies need to have now. That kind of bringing it Yeah, how to make it easily accessible for the consumer. And that's to me like why TikTok for me personally, so it's just so, it's you load it up. It's there. You're, you're, you're going like, and other things just don't work that way to your point, but it's fun to use. It literally is just fun. So is Facebook old enough as a company that, that they, do they have this technology debt because, well, it's, it's funny you said that because we actually, one of the slides we got rid of for today, but was Chris Cox rejoining Facebook and, you know, as chief product officer. And, you know, you wonder when you look at the innovation that's happening at snap and the innovation that's happening at TikTok. You know, not that Facebook's worried. They're a massive company that's doing incredibly well, and they are the only place for small businesses to, to reach consumers. But you do wonder product-wise whether they're nervous and whether this is sort of a, a sign that they need to innovate product-wise, especially in video, that they need to get their act together. You know what, though? With, with Facebook, is you talk about, like, technical debt and being a platform that was built a little while ago. 
they are impressive in that they rebuilt their didn't they rebuild their entire technology infrastructure just like two years ago? They, they're willing to spend, and they have the balance sheet to spend billions of dollars to continue. But as a dumb, but as a dumb user, Brandon, like TikTok works so much better than Instagram. It's like it's not even close in terms of yeah. how quickly things load and how you can go from one thing to the next. How does that? It's happen? also, I think, video first is also a very big takeaway, right? Like, there's something sure. about yeah. autoplay full screen on your mobile device, it is just a really, in, it sucks you in. The minute you open it, you're sucked in. And that first video, more often than not, that first video is awesome. You know what's ironic about that is when, when Facebook started putting autoplay into their feed, forget about Instagram, I was like super irritated because you're reading it and all of a sudden, bam, the video because hits. Because you were like, reading, that because, you were, right. because it was built for it reading. To be. So it's not, only, it's, it's not only video first, it's yeah. video only. It's yes. like you're going in there for that, right? So Facebook yeah, created it, a completely different platform off of that, right? A different tab or whatever it is. Well, they tried a separate app called IGTV. That was a whole separate app that nobody used, but <laughs> never, never what you're talking to though is the- Wait a minute, the, if, if I mention- Original social platforms were built on the scroll, right? Which became right, right. the mobile scroll. And TikTok is not built that way and neither is Snap. Right. Yeah. As, well, I, as snaps, I wouldn't know how that is, but I, I assume Snap has similarities to TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was episode eight. We've gone uh, long today. We really we? appreciate it. Yeah. This was long. We're, this like is one of our longest minutes. ones. No, oh, we're, we're like probably at fifty minutes. I think we'll see. Oh, but I think. Oh well. But um, sorry, episode people. eight, Lightshed Podcast. Without video, so you don't have to look at us for fifty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Later. <laughs>